Hey, listen, okay. After the Dan Slot interview, the bar is set. There is some serious energy that needs to come out of this fucking podcast. If you're not at 99 fucking degrees, you can get off the fucking bus, Aaron. <laughs> Let's fucking go. I'm slightly intimidated over here. <laughs> you, should be, you should be excited. All right. We talk, we we talk off comic it. books and serious shit. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> with Aaron, Polly, Tim, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. So I had some just really bizarre dreams last night. I dreamed that my comic shop was offering massage therapy and also served as a detective agency. <laughs> and with every $20 new comic book purchase, you got a kitten. And the thing that disturbed me so much is that I usually spend $20 every week. Do you know how many kittens I would have? That, that's the most disturbing aspect of your dream? That was the most disturbing aspect of my dream. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God, I'd have so many kittens. <laughs> it wasn't the fact that Aaron looked like Misty Knight in his dream. <laughs> but the great thing about the, the, the massage therapist is that they were all dressed in comic uh, superhero costumes, you know, doing the massage therapy. So like you, Hulk and... The thing. <laughs> well, so you could have like super, Supergirl, Catwoman, whoever. You know, there was one guy in a Kyle Rayner costume that you know was a little disturbing. But uh. <laughs> well, you know, ladies need massages too. There was a, a Mar from, from Wonder City. Woman or, or or Supergirl or I'm writing a business plan. <laughs> I think your dream hit on something. And, and don't forget the free kittens. Who doesn't love a free kitten? I don't love a free kitten. Me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't love any kind of kitten, really. <laughs> it was it was just a, a weird string of dreams I had last night. I had this this other dream that my wife and I were separated. I'm I'm living with this woman, and I'm like, who are you? And I, in my head, I'm not buying the fact that we're separated. And she goes, well, you know, if you and I aren't together, why is all your stuff here? I'm like, well, my stuff isn't here. And so she starts pointing out my clothes and whatnot, and. Then she shows me where she's put my comic books, and she's got a drink sitting on one of my comic books. And I flip out, and that's when I wake up. (laughs) (laughs) That's when shit got real. That's right. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, where's my kid? Girlfriend. Eh, Dream. (laughs) Not my Archie. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You bitch. <laughs> Dream was going down the happy ending round, and then suddenly Aaron wakes up screaming because it became a nightmare. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Get Should... that martini off my Darkwing Duck. That's right, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was my night. <laughs> so you didn't dream about Wonder Woman? I did not dream about Wonder Woman, despite the fact that she's coming to NBC. Yeah, so apparently NBC turned down the original pitch for a uh, Wonder Woman TV show, and then they said, no way, we'll do it anyway. 
Yeah, I, I have a concern about it. I mean, I think it's great that it's coming to, to TV and then they're not going to run it campy and whatnot. But it's a David E. Kelly show. Yeah, and it's coming to NBC. The people that rebooted Bionic Woman a couple years ago with that god-awful you know, attempt. Oh, see, I like that show. Yeah, I didn't mind the Bionic Woman. What I'm more concerned about is NBC, the company or the station that airs The Cape. I'm concerned about any comic property coming to any of the three major networks because none of them give their shows a chance. We see shows that are canceled, you know, the the day after the pilot airs, you know. Um, and I, even more so, I'm, I'm concerned about David E. Kelly because David E. Kelly is the same guy that brought us Ali McBeal. Oh, gosh. Uh, Boston Legal. Uh, you know, all those those legal shows that he's done. And there's always such that air of the ridiculous in those shows. Um, he has he's, he has a bizarre sense of humor that works well in the in those types of programs. I don't think it's going to work well in NBC. And I hope that on Wonder Woman and I hope that he's going to be able to keep it straight. Yeah, he's done some good things, but nothing that would lead me to believe he could do an action show. Yeah, I, there's there's nothing there that suggests to me that he can do a serious drama <laughs> as serious as Wonder Woman's going to be, you know, and not do it <laughs> camping. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's too easy to play into the ridiculousness of those characters, so you almost have to play them super serious. And my guess would be we won't see her in costume much. I mean, they said the costume will be part of it with the lasso and the plane and all, but I would guess she's going to be in her secret identity most of the time, especially based on his strengths. Yeah. You know, I can see if I was doing a uh, a Wonder Woman television show, I could see keeping the cuffs and portions of the costume and the lasso. I think I would ditch the invisible plane. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, th- I think I'd go with that too. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I, I think most people are comfortable losing the invisible plane, because especially I, when she can fly. Exactly, the invisible plane. Yeah, yeah. Just to save on colors, money. Uh, I don't know if if it was J.J. Abrams behind it or something. I think I'd be a little more excited. Exactly. So, well, somebody who's got a track. Record. Yeah. So you're gonna fly in an invisible plane. Is there an invisible baggage fee? <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have to sit in an invisible coach. <laughs> <laughs> Look, my invisible peanuts. <sighs> I can tell you, I'm not using the bathroom on an invisible plane. <laughs> There's no privacy there. Well, you know what they'll do is they'll charge you for first class, but you're really an invisible coach. You know, the whole bait and switch thing. No, no, you're in, you're, you're in first class. Oh, okay. Where do I sit? Anywhere. <laughs> there are no seats. Just sit on the floor. And it's so hard to find your package of invisible peanuts. It is. You guys keep saying peanuts, and I'm hearing penis. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's, they that's, have that's your invisible penis. <laughs> <laughs> Revelations here on Funny Books with Aaron and Paulie. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Who would That's you cast for Wonder Woman? Your mom? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good idea. You know, I, 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 I used to like the idea of Charisma Carpenter, but I think she might be a little long in the tooth now. Yeah. I was thinking uh, Elijah Dushku, but it's same thing. Yeah. It's hard to, you know, it's sad to say that these people who are, you know, in their their mid to late thirties now are, uh, you know, too long in the tooth to play Wonder Woman. But I think you do need to have somebody who's probably in their mid twenties for that role. It's a good question. I don't know because I don't watch too much TV, 
So liar. And the TV I yeah, and the TV I watch doesn't really have anybody like young and hot. Well, Smallville, Smallville's ending this season. They could grab their Lois Lane. Oh, Wayne. God. <laughs> I would grab I their Wonder Woman or their Lois Lane. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who I'd select for that role. Eh, just a thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would be hard to cast. Unlike, apparently, Catwoman, who uh, got cast as Anne Hathaway this week. Or Anne Hathaway got casted as Catwoman the other way around. <laughs> I'm having a hard time with, uh, you know, Devil Wears Prada. Uh, playing Catwoman. No, I'm okay with it. Are you really? Yeah, she's hot. Well, I I think she's an attractive woman. I just don't see Catwoman from her. You know, what's been bugging me about you know their announcement hasn't been the announcements themselves. It's all of these reviews I'm reading where people are complaining. Why are they picking a character so obscure as Bane? Really, people are thinking Bane's still obscure at this point. I mean, yeah. He's been on all the cartoons as major characters. In the comic books, he broke Batman's back. He was on, well, a horrible, you know, butchered version of him was in the last Batman movie. This is not an obscure character. He was in the last Batman movie? Not Batman and Robin. Batman, the last oh, bad Batman. Oh, okay. Batman okay, Robin. thank you. Okay. I was like, did I, did I have a stroke and forget that? <laughs> this is not an obscure character. Only clueless people that know nothing about the, you know, the character or his history have any, clue, you know, have don't know the character. I mean, it just it has me livid reading these reviews where people are saying that it's a, you know, it's a horrible choice for a villain because I think it could be an incredible story. Here, here's my problem with it. Why do they have to have two villains in every frigging Batman movie? I agree. Why you bl- you blow through your material twice as fast? Well, and it wa- generally will water down your story. Yeah, you don't you don't you don't give justice to one like really Two Two Face in the last movie was was okay, but you didn't need him. No. No, you could have had you could have had just as effective of a story if you hadn't done the the Two Face origin. See, I've got that bitch about like the Spider-Man movies and the uh, the old Batman movies, but for this series, they've done a good job of having the two. And when they have the two, one is the primary, and the other is is there to help flesh out the world and the story. Like Scarecrow in the first one was he was a big villain, but it was kind of cool having having him the way they did, where Rajah Ghul's the major villain, and this is just a guy that's there. Well, I think that well, the the current Batman movies are the exception to the rule. Because they've done it very well. I've got no complaints about, you know, Batman Begins and uh, whatever the hell the name of the last movie was. Well, no, it's not the Dark that, Knight. Though. Thank it, you. It, it's okay. I agree. It's more organic and it's better written. But my complaint's still the same. They're using up their material twice as fast. So well, you know, you really can't do just a two-face movie now. Well, exactly, exactly. You know, because you, you blew through that character so fast. So I, I do right. think that they're. And, and Two Face is actually a really good villain, though I think that, though I, that his juxtaposition between him and the Joker was nicely done in that movie. So again, I don't have a complaint other than the fact that now we don't get a Two Face movie, because yeah. you know the, the current Batman series is very realistic as opposed to tying into the comics where maybe he's not really dead. You know, I do get a sense that dead is dead in the uh, Batman movies. You know, I have a lot of hope for this story when I heard Bane was in it because I'm hoping you – know, I don't. I have a feeling they're going to pull the 
the superhuman aspect out. He's just going to be a strong guy, and they won't use the venom. But I'm hoping they do bring it in as some sort of, you know, adrenaline drug or something, because I want to see them deal with, you know, Batman's choice of, do I use this stuff to fight him or not? And I want to see him struggle with addiction to the stuff, and then use that as a way with Catwoman as a love interest to bring him back and make him stop using it. Kind of like the old stories, the very first time Venom showed up in the comics, he was, you know, addicted to the stuff. Well, and here's another problem I've got with Anne Hathaway in that role is that she doesn't seem like the actress herself does not strike me as somebody that you would pair with Christian Bale. You know, don't get me wrong. Anne Hathaway's hot. (laughs) <laughs> but I, she just I don't see the the chemistry and maybe I'm maybe I'm absolutely wrong maybe it'll work just terrifically on on screen but I just I don't see the two of those you know being you know all hot saucy like you would expect from Batman and Catwoman well as opposed to Katie Holmes or uh, Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> the female <laughs> version of Jake Gyllenhaal uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know speaking Speaking of uh, you know comic book movies, did you guys look at the the stuff that was on the on the on the Ideology of Madness homepage about the the pictures for the Captain America costume and the Spider Man costume? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that Captain America costume. I think that Captain America costume rocks. Yeah, I I am iffy about Spider Man. I don't know why they need the changes that they're making to it, but the uh, the Captain America costume looks awesome. Yeah. I'm okay with both, honestly. You know, they have more pictures of the Spider-Man costume online now. Uh, you know, with the full mask and everything, and the web shooters are you know clearly visible, things like that. But uh, I don't know. I I, I like the look. Uh, I'm glad they didn't go with the exact same look that they had in the previous movie. You know, movie series. Well, I thought Captain America looked cool. I, I'm boycotting Spider-Man off the general principle that they should they shouldn't have to reboot a series like that that quickly. Now, I understand people didn't like Spider-Man 3, and that's probably why they're doing it, but I don't know. Well, I think they, they also don't have any of the original actors, so they could have tried a four, but they'd be doing it without anyone that was, you know, that was in the first three. No, I, I get that too, but I, my, my thought is, is that otherwise you're going to always have to go back to the origin of the crappy I'm in high school. Yeah. But like the stuff that we're reading in Spider-Man now, where he, he's he's actually moved past that, is some of the most interesting stuff that we've seen Spider-Man in a long time. It was yeah, when he was married. Well, yeah, but if we get past that, where he's actually successful, it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I would be okay. You know, I was okay with the idea of a reboot, uh, but I wish they had done it as a you know, this is an older Spider-Man. We're just not going to mention the other Spider-Man movies. Um. You know, so you could see it as a pre as a sequel, or you could see it as a reboot with different actors. I would have been more okay with that than actually restarting it back in high school. You know, that's just I, I've seen that shit too many times. I don't need to see his origin again, like you said. You know, I just yeah, let's move forward. You know, you I know, don't want to see the Green Goblin again, or no, I guess they have the Lizard this time, but still. I'm perfectly cool with it being in high school. I don't need to see the origin again. I've seen that enough. Now I'm right there with you guys. I'm I'm so sick of seeing you know Peter Parker get bitten by the radioactive spider. Uh, I think you can do that in the opening credits. There's no reason to tell the story again. Yeah, if I you mean, don't I, know how he got his powers, you're probably not sitting down for the movie. Yeah, or listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you going to give a spoiler for Aaron's he got bit by a radioactive spider? No. That, that's probably best. 
<laughs> Tim's feeling under the weather this week. That spoiler took a lot out of him. <laughs> so, did you guys see Young Justice last night? I did. I did not. You did not. Yeah, the the third episode of Young Justice, the first new episode, uh, premiered last night, and uh, I gotta say, I'm 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 enjoying it. So I'm enjoying it, but I have a major bitch about it, Miss Martian. I love I, the character in the comic books. In the show, no, they're putting they're her putting in her the in Wonder like, Wonder Wonder Girl's Wonder. role with not her personality, not Wonder Girl's personality. Some other new, obnoxious, annoying personality with a voice that grates on me, and you just want to grab her and slap her. Well, I don't really smack women, Wayne. She's a Martian. It's okay. <laughs> She's not people, Paul. That's right. No, it was actually the and then you could smack her. The I want to grab her and slap her thing came from my wife. She I, she hates the character as much as I do on the show. And she can't morph into a dude because she can't make her boobs disappear. But she did at the end. Spoiler! Sorry, I, that wasn't Tim. But um, <laughs> I, I need a minute, boss. <laughs> I'm go hack, hack a little bit, snort oh. some coke, and then he'll be he'll be all good to go. Yeah, and the personality uh, they gave her reminded me of the obnoxious, uh, the obnoxious redheaded girl from Justice Society. Oh, Star Girl. I oh, know. Uh, no, uh, Twister chick. Yeah, yeah, the one whose name we can't remember right now. <laughs> yeah, it's like they re- gave her her personality. I like Twister chick. That should be her name. <laughs> it should be. No, I, I I liked the episode. I uh, I I I didn't mind Miss Martian. Honestly, I kind of always figured that was Miss Martian. Honestly, she always kind of seemed like that type of character to me. It's just I don't know too over the top, bubbly obnoxious i it just no as the current uh, teen titans aficionado i can i could kind of agree with paul a lot of the a lot of the teen titans stuff was her being super happy fun girl and ravager wanting to strangle her but not like not like this though no not not so much like starfire from the teen titans comic book it wasn't or the show it wasn't that bad but it was kind of bad. In the no, I was I was really looking forward to her because I love her in the comics, and it just the fact that I'm hating the character in the cartoon bothers me because I like the cartoon. Otherwise, I mean, I've got some issue with the the voices they chose, but overall, I'm loving the cartoon. I just I just don't like her. Yeah, well, still early. We've only seen one episode with her, but um, for you guys who missed it, I think it comes on Friday nights at. I don't know, six thirty or seven thirty or some shit like that on Cartoon Network. So I don't know when I'm, things come on. It's all recorded. Yeah, it comes on whenever your DVR says it came on. Damn straight. <laughs> I'm not going to watch a commercial. <laughs> so, big news or big question I have for you guys: Are you going to the comic shop on Tuesday to get your Fantastic Four five eighty seven, or are you going to wait for your normal comic day? I'm waiting for my normal comic day. I'm waiting for a normal comic day just because I record on Tuesdays. Otherwise, I would be going there for it because I'm afraid it's going to sell out. Fantastic Four is not on my pull list. I put it on my pull list, so hopefully my comic shop guy will uh, put aside a copy for me. But yeah, so Marvel announced that Fantastic Four 587, you know, starting this year, Diamonds sent comics, you know, comic shops get their comics on Tuesdays. 
um, you know, but they're not allowed to sell them till Wednesday. Well, Fantastic Four 587, because Marvel wants to get the word out to the media, goes on sale on Tuesday, I guess, to, to get the word out on it. So, and they're sending it out bagged to try to avoid right. any spoilers. Honestly, there's no way to avoid spoilers on that. I mean, you could put it in a bag, but you should just – does it matter? You know what I mean? You open up a newspaper, you, you turn on the internet, it'll probably be there, kind of like when Captain America <clears throat> died. Now, you know, this is reminiscent of when Superman died and they sold it, you know, bagged with the black armband, um, you know, and of course what happened back then in the 90s is people bought at least two of those, one to read and one to keep unsullied by human hands. So is there anyone on this show that will buy two copies of this book? Hell no. Comics aren't collectible anymore. <laughs> yeah, fuck that. I feel sorry for all those losers who went and bought like 20 copies of Captain America, the death of Captain America. Like, oh, this is so fucking important, and then like next month they were worth half their cost. Yeah, but if you I, turned them around right then and there, you made some bank. Yeah, you have to do it immediately. Yeah. though. I feel you know, sorry I ha- for the people that are buying one copy. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tim, don't be that way. I am. Yeah, I have some real hopes for this issue because of the way they're treating this. Because I kept thinking they were going to half acid and have a background, background character die or something. But if they're making, if they're this making big of a deal. I think someone's really going to die. Well, we'll know on Wednesday. Tuesday. Well, if are you <laughs> going to pick it up on Tuesday, Paul? I might, just because the comic shop has a... Because I can go to the comic shop and get pizza for lunch, so I don't need an excuse <laughs> to go to the comic shop day early. Paul's going to pick it up on See, Tuesday, and then he's going to email us both with a subject of, this is absolutely not a spoiler. It's just going to be the name of who died. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Sue. I'm going to post it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so who, who's your who's your bet on who's dying? I think it's Sue. I think it's Johnny Storm. I think it's Ben. Wow, three way split. In fact, I am damn sure it's Johnny Storm. To be honest with you, why do you say oh, that? We'll why do you say you're you damn know, sure? I am because we've seen Ben Grimm in ads for future books. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think they're going to kill Reed Richards or Sue Storm because they already have at different points. I, I really and I don't think Johnny Storm has ever really died. And I think it'll be Johnny Storm. I've seen I haven't seen anything that is a guarantee, but you know, I've seen covers of future issues of Spider Man where it says he's coping with the loss of someone huh? in the Fantastic Four and he has a talk with Franklin Richards about losing somebody and I'm like you know, I don't think Spider Man would have that talk if it was Ben Grimm. I think he's having that talk because it's Johnny Storm. Uh, certainly, yeah, that would make that, sense. That and the art that like, when you have the four of them together for that one art that they've been using, yeah, <laughs> everybody's side of the face is is lit up on one side except for Johnny. Johnny's opposite, so maybe that's a art clue too. Hmm. So we'll see. I mean, I, it, it obviously none of us really know, but I. I I really think it's Johnny Storm. And I I haven't read any of the issues, so I don't know if they've been hinting at it or leading up to it. Well, I think the big tell, what they've been leading up to, what they want you to believe is that it's going to be Sue. She's the one that's in crisis right now, but of of course, uh, uh, you know, we'll see on on Tuesday. Now, the reason why I'm not picking up my books on Tuesday is that I would have to drive right back or out, you know, because I I drive uh, 20 miles to get my books, and uh, that's just pain in the ass. So I, I go once a week. Uphill both ways. That's right. Uphill both ways in the snow. 
barefoot pushing his car. He doesn't even drive right. his car. He just pushes <laughs> it. No, no, no. He, he's got a horse just like everybody else in Texas. <laughs> he's That's got right. a donkey. <laughs> uh, so I guess we should talk about this week's new comic books, huh? All five of them. All five of them. <laughs> Very short list today, that's for sure. Which is one so more than the last uh, four weeks for me. I've had yeah, four true. weeks of four comics that have been under 20 bucks. So uh, this week's Avengers Academy was great because it was all Tigra all the time. That one was for you, Jonathan. Uh, <laughs> It was great. I mean, you open up the first page, Tigra, Tigra, Tigra. Next page, Tigra, Tigra. A big, big full page of Tigra. I just love it. It was Tigra on every page. Um, this issue had the students finding out about what the Red Hood had done to Tigra. You know, where he uh, assaulted her, held the gun to her head, said, "You know, uh, essentially, you're my bitch." Um, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to do what I say, or I'm going to kill your mom and then, you know, make you suffer for how you made me kill your mom. And when I'm done having you suffer, I'll kill you. And, you know, uh, she, you know, completely got, you know, beaten up by him. Um, so the Avengers Academy students see this and decided that they're going to go out and, uh, make Red Hood their bitch. So, you know. I love that these kids are the ones to figure out that the hood has escaped from prison when no one else, none of the heroes, none of the prison guards have a clue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and the, the the Avengers weren't even paying attention. No, he doesn't have powers anymore. We don't have to worry about him. <laughs> yeah, because that always works out right. But uh, you know, it, was a, it was a marvelous plan for for the students to go out and you know torture the hood. Torture. Of course, it re-energizes the hood for him to go seeking apparently the Infinity Gems in uh, the current Avengers storyline. So this story predates the current Avengers storyline. Ah, um, they give us a note about too. Yeah, there was even an editor's note. So you're gonna buy There's Avengers? continuity in this book? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that I thought was that they that they dropped in here because there's always been a lot of debate about what happened between the Red Hood and Tigra, and speculation that she had been raped by the Red Hood. And I know that when I read that original story, it certainly did look like there was a sexual assault going on, and they made it real clear in this book. Well, it's not like he had sex with her. You know, she just got beat up. So I, I it was it was interesting that they made such a point of of clarifying that note in the story. Yeah, I had always assumed that she had been raped too. Yeah, well, it's, it's certainly the the mood they gave you in in that in that issue. Um, the big finish in this book and spoilers on. <laughs> I like that it's preceded by the cough. <laughs> uh, um, Tigra expels several of the students from Avengers Academy, so we'll get to see uh, how that works out in the next issue. So Wayne, yeah. did you like this book? I loved it. I mean, I uh, I hadn't really cared about the whole tiger getting beaten up thing, but the way that they took it on seriously in this issue, where she's dealing with the fact that this is on YouTube, yeah, and it's all over the internet, and every t- everywhere she turns, there's video of her being, you know, beaten up, and then the kids' overreaction. We just keep seeing, you know, basically them make the wrong choices over and over and over again. It's yeah, I'm enjoying that. It's continuing, you know, the character development of every one of the characters in the book. How about you, Tim? Uh, 
Well, there was a little more tiger than I'd want in a story, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you definitely got to see how messed up these kids are. Yeah, like I, I thought that was way over where I, where I thought they were on the morality chain. The beating and taping of somebody that was pretty rough. I think we found out something interesting in this story. Um, and it was the scene where Tigra's having her nightmare and she wakes up and she walks around in her little bikini, nothing, uh, uh, clothes all day long, but she wears a t-shirt to bed. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's an important detail about Tigra. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, out in the world, she's wearing a thong and a bikini top and, uh, you know, she sleeps in a t-shirt and a bikini bottom. And her room is close enough that Pim can be in there before she's done screaming. Yeah, you know, I was like, was he already in there? How quick? I get? That that was a little weird to me as well. I had to relook at that panel probably four times before I noticed that the door is cracked open. Yeah. He's running through the door, but yeah. he had to – I think he was outside there just kind of peeking in, watching her sleep. Well, I think he was about to make a booty call. That's why he was so close, you know. That's right. Hey, kitty lady. The mother of my semi-fake scrawl baby son. <laughs> I should at least be able his, to tap that, right? It's his uh, his fake scroll baby mama. <laughs> <laughs> that fake you scroll know, baby needs a, a, a brother or a sister. <laughs> when they dealt with that being his genetic, basically his genetic child... I have to say it reminded me of another annoyance I had with Secret Invasion that they never did explain how the scrolls managed to to make themselves so much like everyone they were replacing. They just said that they got the idea from Reed Richards. So they never explained how they did it. Yeah, but wasn't Hulkling the one that was being the fake Hank Pym? No. 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 Okay. Eh, On the cover of Avengers Academy. There is a blurb from Blair Butler. Blair Butler. Blair Butler. Blair Butler over at G4, and it says, an interesting and multifaceted read. So we need our blurb for issue nine of Avengers Academy. What's that going to be, Tim? It's going to be Scroll Baby Mama. <laughs> okay, maybe not, Wayne. Not enough underage nudity. Well, I like it. I like it. Not enough underage nudity. Wayne Cole, ideologyofmadness.com. <laughs> there you go, Wayne. Submit that letter right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Marvel. They don't have a place to submit like that. Oh, Marvel. <laughs> Although they do have a letters page in Avengers Academy. And we know a certain Christos Gage. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's leaving the title, isn't he? No, maybe not. What? I hope not. No, I'm sorry. He's leaving a different title. Oh, well, then nobody cares about I read that. that he was leaving something this week, but it's not that. My mistake. False alarm. You, you, you had us all very concerned. We were a little worried, yeah. Paul. Yeah. I think he's just messing with us because he doesn't read the title. So, Outsider. It, it, January <laughs> so far has been rather meager in terms of, of comics. And our pools were so small this week that Paul and I ventured out and read Supergirl number 60. What do you think, Paul? You know, it's sad. I actually enjoyed it. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was actually quite good. It, um, so in Supergirl number 60, this is the first issue by incoming writer Nick Spencer, who's writing like every fucking book on the market nowadays. Um, 
including last week we met, we were talking about Infinite Vacation uh, from Image Comics. He writes right. that as well. Uh, but this I is picked that up over the week. It really was very good. You guys were right. We're always right. Stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So in Supergirl number 60, uh, I don't know if this is a pre-existing character or what, but there is a new villain who I guess someone saw the social network and decided that uh, they would create like a villain out of the guy who created Facebook. He's very, very similar to that guy who creates a- an app that called Flyover. Allows, <laughs> called Flyover, correct, that allows people to text or tweet or whatever the location of any superhero at any time. And, you know, that sounds cool and all like, hey, I just saw a superhero. But the whole point is to let villains know where the superhero is at that moment in time um, so that they can be caught off guard. And uh, I thought it was really well written. Yeah. And, you know, they they demo the app in the in the comic. And, of course, you know, Parasite, Banshee, the Kryptonite Man and uh, Metallo all show up to lay the beat down on Supergirl. And I. You've got these other stories going on. There's a Lois Lane story uh, in which she's researching something at Cadmus. Um, a lot of conversation. One of the things I really liked about this book, Paul, is that it was so very much in continuity. There was discussion about how Superman's out of town doing his walkabout. When Perry White's um, talking about what stories they're going to run, he's talking about stuff that's going on in the DC universe. He's talking about, uh, you know, bottom half of the paper will be uh, rumors that Captain Adam was involved in the explosion in Chicago. Bottom two-thirds and rounding out with the story about that super town that cropped up outside Washington, D.C. You know, they're doing a piece on the Red Lanterns. I mean, I love how enmeshed in current DC continuity this book is. I thought that was yeah. a nice touch, and you don't see that very often. Well, and uh, you know, I thought it was odd that Lois Lane was in the book. I'm like, why is Lois Lane in this book? And then I realized it's probably because she's not in the Superman book, right? Or the Action and, Comics book, because that's all Lex Luthor. You've exactly. got you've got the Lois Lane robot over there. So, to a certain extent, you're getting, uh, you're kind of getting a, a Superman book here. It just yeah. happens to star Supergirl. Yeah. You know, and it very much was that. You get a lot of Superman villains. You know that popped up. Um, you know all all of those villains that popped up are Superman villains, not Supergirl villains. Yeah. Well, and there was also some really nice pacing because, like I said, you've got these three stories that are going on in the book. You've got Supergirl fighting the bad guys. You've got this social network uh, supervillain that we're seeing, and then you've got Lois researching her story, and they're going panel by panel. Uh, you know, it starts off with larger chunks of it, like full page chunks of each story. Uh, earlier on, <clears throat> but as the action is building, the pacing changes with with the panels, and you'll have like Supergirl in one panel, Lois Lane story in the next panel, uh, the the bad guys in the other panel, and it's just the the pacing is really good. So you really had this feel of an energetic build towards the end of the book. I thought that pacing on this book was just brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it was it was really well done. You know, we talked last week about how we felt like the twenty page um, structure of New DC Comics was, you know. What, we we weren't sure it was really working just yet, but I gotta say I didn't feel gypped in this book at all. I got all. you know I, I yeah. got a good story with good pacing. You know it was it, it made appropriate use of that space. Yeah, and a kid dies in this book. You know, so you know it's actually there's a little darkness in this book as well. That's uh, true because the wow. informant who shared uh, uh, information with Lois Lane comes home and finds that her kid that's been sick 
has been killed because there's an you know you're thinking oh he just went ahead and died of leukemia because they revealed in the story earlier on that the kid was sick but no she finds a note that from our bad guy that says you know it's not nice to tell tales out of class sorry for your loss wow that is yeah, yeah they need to steal that writer and put him on superman he <laughs> this this book rocked and i'm like wow i enjoyed a supergirl story yeah, <laughs> you know, and the I, only reason I picked it up, you know, when we we share our lists every week uh, on Sundays for the for the coming week uh, on what we're going to read, so everyone kind of go, okay, well, I might want to pick up that so I can talk about it with Paul, um, because we only ever want to talk with Paul. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm the only one that matters here, just right. so you know. Well, I picked Supergirl sixty, and immediately Wayne's like, "Why are you picking up Supergirl sixty? Is something going on?" I'm like, "Eh, you know, it's two ninety nine. I don't have a whole lot I'm pulling this week, and the the write up seemed interesting. And damn it, if this wasn't a good book, and I'm I'm in for sixty one. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I'm you know on board permanently. It just depends on how the storyline goes. Yeah, but I'm definitely on board for sixty one. But as long as the stories stay at this this level of quality, I'm in. Agreed. So, yay. So go Supergirl. You know I, that was uh, I I would say you know for you guys on the podcast. <laughs> um, you know that you got you know the, you guys like Red Robin. I know Wayne, you like Batgirl. I'd say this, you know, this is a good companion piece to those types of books. Yeah. It, it at, at least now it is. I don't know if the book was previously this good. In fact, I've kind of heard it's not. Um, but it, it's quite good now. So yeah. highly recommended. For Just to be clear, I like the character of Batgirl, not the book. The book sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh... Tim and Paul ventured down into the sewers under the college with their swords and robes and dice to read their issues of Dungeons and Dragons so that they could read their books and play the game for reals. For reals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gaming I, uh... is serious business, yo. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut you. Yeah, I know you will with your long sword. Indeed, right. that I bought at the Chinese store in the mall. <laughs> does, it, does it D8, Aaron? Did you feel that? Huh? <laughs> you look like you only have four hit points, so I got a 50-50 shot at taking you down. One <laughs> Boom. You know, Paul's been, Paul's been pimping Dungeons and & Dragons, and he's been giving it the hard sell, and I'm like, well, Paul said this about Darkwing Duck, but... Paul also got me on Spider-Man, so yeah, he's batting about 500. Um, He'd be batting 100 if you'd pick up Darkwing Duck. Yeah, 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 your mom. Anyways, so <laughs> I, I read the issue zero when it came out, and that, that's what turned me off from trying this book out. Because issue zero was nothing like the, the first three issues. Um, uh, Paul was absolutely right. And, and again, nice job, Paul. Um, the the humor in this book makes this book. I mean, it's well it's well drawn. It, there's a lot of action. There's a there's a lot of storytelling going on, but it's the it's the interaction between the characters that makes it feel like you're you're at a gaming table. Like these are people like talking back and forth, eating Cheetos, basically. The, you know, and it, it was it was it was very it was very it was very fun read. Um, and so yeah, Paul, I, I'm I'm definitely on board. That's awesome. Yeah, I um, you know, I've been like I said, I've been talking about it now for four issues, and I don't think any of us were super impressed with issue zero, but I I liked it enough to to get into the series. But um, 
you know, whether you're a fan of fantasy or not, it's just a good read. You know, and I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not a gamer. I don't know shit about the world of Dungeons and Dragons, other than that it pretty much, at least in the book, reads like a lot of the fantasy worlds that I'm familiar with, with orcs and trolls and shit like that. Um, but it, it's not really about that. Like you said, it's the interactions and the the dialogue is fantastic. Yeah, and you don't really need to be well versed in D and D to read this book at all. No, anything not at all. That, anything that you need to know for the story. They go about explaining because they'll they'll use different storytelling techniques of well only one character knows it and he's gonna have like in this one the dwarf had to explain what the hell the you know the thing that they were chasing was so yeah no you don't have to know what a magic missile is or any of that stuff or you know the 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 thief doesn't say like I'm gonna do a multiplier backstab or any of that baloney. You know, a lot of the stuff that I was worried about in issue zero, it, it comes to fruition that it's 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 not the case, and it's just a it's just a really fun read, and I I would echo Paul's statement that I would recommend it. I was right twice in one week. <laughs> Don't let it go to your head, Aponte. <laughs> it's a sure sign of the coming apocalypse. A sure sign. Another book that I recommended that you guys started picking up. I'm just I'm just gonna that's just gonna be the, the show topic from now on. Um <laughs> <laughs> was Amazing Spider Man. So issue six fifty two came out this week. Um now we, we talked to Dan Slot earlier this week. If you haven't listened to the interview, listen to it now. Um this is the the first issue of the the second storyline of Big Time. Features the new artist, Stefano Caselli. And uh it re- introduces the new Scorpion and the Spider Slayers and all sorts of crazy shit. So, Aaron, what did you think of it? Loved it. I, I liked. I like that it, you know, it is yet another good jumping on point. And this, this is something we talked to Dan Slott about. Um, each one of his books seem like they're a good jumping on point that you can you can immediately get into what's going on without having read the prior stories. But you know, this is the beginning of a new arc. Um, it does really kind of set up what's going on both in uh, Peter's personal life as well as in his Spider-Man life. Um, really digging it. I, I, I loved every page of this book. Stefano Caselli um, is a nice follow-up to Umberto Ramos. I was a big fan of Umberto Ramos's work on the, on the uh, previous story arc, but Stefano Caselli steps right into it, and he's got such a good feel for each of these characters. And he draws the hell out of J. Jonah Jameson. And you know what the funny thing is when I was – and I, I agree with everything. The uh-huh. first thing I thought of was this art might be enough for Wayne to jump back on board. Yeah, you I know. Like, this I, is uh, definitely a step. I picked up the book on the rack and I looked at it and the art is good again. This is That is enough <laughs> art for me to jump on board. The problem is – and I find it really surprising everyone saying this is a great jumping on point. As I flip through, it's like there's so much happening. This has got to be tied – like deep into the big time storyline. This is a horrible jumping on point as I was flipping through it. So if this is a good jumping on point, then flipping through the book doesn't give you that indication at all. I, hmm. I think it would be a good jumping on point. Uh, you know, you do have the, uh, the supervillain message board at the beginning that, that, you know, gives you a little bit, but everything in here, the, the story you're brought up to date within the story. It gives you everything you need to know as you're reading each panel. And Hey, there's Lady Roller Derby in the first two pages. I mean, the art on there, it may not have been the best art I've seen this year, but the art is good, and the art looks like it should look in a superhero book. So I don't have any issues with the art anymore. The art anymore. 
It's really I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this story. I, there is one I did have one complaint, and that is you know, uh, Captain Jameson or whatever his name is, uh, John Jameson, Colonel Jameson, is in the shuttle uh, about to launch, and you know the engines are going off when they're not supposed to be going off, so the shuttle is launching inappropriately. And when they cut to inside the shuttle, the you know Colonel Jameson and the other and the other astronaut are shown, you know, uh, at a at a regular orientation. As opposed to being shown, you know, on their backs as the shuttle would be oriented, you know, because the shuttle is sitting, you know, uh, engine to nose on the, you know, on the uh, launch pad, but they're not shown with that same orientation. And that bugged me on each one of those scenes that, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, at that uh, plum orientation, they should be on their backs. I hate when my shuttle launches inappropriately. It's <laughs> <laughs> so embarrassing. No, I, do, I did so think it I thought it was kind of cool that, you know, Spider-Man, you know, uh, webs up to the shuttle and he's, you know, blasting off the shuttle, which is reminiscent of one of those old Steve Ditko stories where he's wrestling with the capsule, you know, which they did another cutout of. That was awesome. Yeah, that was great. That was great. So I I, I just think this book is book's got a nice feeling of nostalgia. You know, it it pays you back for having followed Spider-Man all these years, but it's given you all kinds of new awesome stuff. And thoroughly enjoying it. And yeah. I'll tell you what, if you're if you're on the fence, you need to listen to the Dan Slott interview. Yeah. That man is a live wire. And <laughs> he, he would make me get excited about anything. So the fact that he's drawing a, a character I like, just or writing a character I like, just awesome. Yeah. I mean I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this issue. The the cover for next issue, which if if you notice, it says next issue, six fifty three. Uh-huh. Is next week. Oh, oh God! Moses. Look at if you look at the preview yeah, page. It says right. on top of it, next week. Now I don't see it listed uh, on my comic shop's release list, so maybe it was intended to be next week, but it's actually not. Right. But um, awesome, awesome cover for the next issue. It looks like the new Avengers make an appearance. And let me throw out something else about this book. You know, there is a backup in the book. Um, the the key ceremony where uh, J. J. Jonah Jameson is awarding Spider-Man the key to the city, which was talked about earlier in the big time storyline, but we never saw it. This backup tells you that story. I love that the backup ties into something that they've talked about previously in in the big time story. It's not just some random piece. It's it's exactly what Dan Slott was talk, talking about is that these these backups tie in directly to what what the uh, story's about. It's so well orchestrated. You can tell the amount of thought and attention that's been paid to delivering just the best comic book they can give you every week. I just I, Amazing Spider-Man is fantastic. Well, and not only that, the backup isn't even written by Dan Slott. Yeah, Fred Van Lente. It's written by Fred Van Lente. You know, and I thought it was funny as hell yeah you know it, it, it you, you can't tell that there's a difference in writing yeah i mean you know which is i guess good and bad you know i'm not trying to diss on fred van lente's writing but it very much is in the same style that we're getting in the, the main feature i guess yes. is my point yeah so, no loved it loved it great book Big comes and up. just about the only book where i pay a 3.99 and i don't and i feel like i get a full 3.99 worth of book completely agree. as opposed to feeling like i'm paying 3.99 for a 2.99 book completely agree digging it cool well i'm gonna try to sell you on another book yeah 
<laughs> Never going to happen, my friend. You're yeah, going to fail gonna... this time. Yeah, I am going to fail this time. Um, Batman Streets of Gotham. And I know no one's going to buy this. Uh, that Ever. isn't. <laughs> but you should buy it and trade, I guess, is, is my point. Um, best Batman comic book on the stands. Batman Streets of Gotham number 19 came out this week uh, with an early contender for my favorite cover of the year. Um, it's, a, it's a portrait of Joker in those DC iconic covers, you know, where they're pretty much all white with just one character on them. Um, but there's a really awesome picture of the Joker on the cover um, by artist Dustin Wen. Uh, right, written by Paul Dini from Batman the Animated Series. Um, you know, this has been my my favorite Batman book since the relaunch of the Batman books after Final Crisis. Um, you know, one, it's not written by Grant Morrison. Um, you know, and two, you know, it's written by Paul Dini with art by Dustin Wen, who are like my dream team on Batman. They started in Detective Comics um, before Batwoman came in and took over the title. Now, this is the House of Hush, which is kind of like part three of the Hush saga. There was the original Hush saga by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee, and then Paul Dini did a sequel called The Heart of Hush, which was dynamite, awesome, fantastic. And this is their third part, The House of Hush, um, and it, it's it's just as great. This is really great. If you like Bruce Wayne Batman, you get a ton of great backstory. You know, It, it flashes back a lot to... Um, Thomas and Martha Wayne and their dealings and with you know and crime and in Gotham before Bruce was born things like that and it even has um, an appearance by a very young Joker and uh, a, a really brutal appearance where he uh, he feeds a fat guy to some hyenas and uh, you, you see quite a bit uh, it's quite a quite a violent little book but I really recommend this book it's fantastic art's beautiful writing's great and you get Bruce Wayne Batman. I, I I cannot recommend this book enough. Uh, of course, if you're not on board right now, I think there's only two issues left in the series. So I would recommend just picking it up in trade. But I do highly recommend picking it up in trade. So speaking of trade, Tim wanted me to talk about Morning Glories number six this week because the uh, the trade of the first five issues is coming out. I think it's next week. I have to say that I I am still hooked on this book. It's still a big mystery of what's really going on. I mean, it's it started off with a bunch of kids going to a prep school and seeing their parents uh, tortured and murdered, and there's some sort of cult activity going on, and there's super science going on all in the background. There seems to be something with either clones or time travel, but you still don't really know what's going on as of six issues in. But the characters are all so good, and the interactions with them are so great that you don't mind not knowing what's going on because that's kind of the point. I mean, when they do their big reveal and actually tell you what's going on here, I think that'll be the end of the series. That's what the buildup is for because it really is a mystery and it's just kind of playing with a, with your, uh, your senses of what's going on. So is morning glories a mini series? I mean, I guess it's at issue six, so it can't be that many. And that's the thing is, I don't know if it's a miniseries or an ongoing at this point. I mean, I think it's ongoing because I don't see any numbers like 6 of 12 or anything. And the second story arc is doing basically different characters than the first one. But it's it's all tied together. You know, the reason I was I was curious about it was because I, I thought the art the art style was, was, was nice. 
The art is beautiful in this book. Yeah. So, so who's the creative team on that book? <laughs> Sorry. It is, it is uh, Alex Solzo, um, Nick Spencer, Joe Isma. It's all people I've never heard of before, but it's, since it's from Image, that's not really surprising. Well, Nick Spencer, we were just talking about him with Supergirl and Infinite Vacation. Yeah, and he writes the, every book. He's the writer of the t- of the book, so I I think we may have a a new runner for best writer this year. We'll Our see. Best best new writer. We apparently we yeah. have a new category for Funny Books 2011 or Funny 2011. And we're already thinking about it in January because we'll forget <laughs> yeah, it in December. So we'll forget about it by February. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. You know, I've um here's before we get into our our final book of of the the show. I uh, I haven't filed away any of my comic books that I've purchased this year because I'm going to set aside the ones that I feel have the best covers <laughs> and like take pictures or write them down or something so that I don't forget so that in December <laughs> 2011, I'm not going through Comixology looking week by week at all the new releases <laughs> to see oh, what no, my favorite was awesome, Paul. What are you talking I'm, about? <laughs> I'm doing the same thing, Paul, because it was rough last year and the year before that. Oh, yeah, you before that, you can so go through a website. I am on the worst cover. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I am planning ahead. Only 12 months to go until the next Funny Book Awards. <laughs> Keep up alive. Keep up alive. Never stop dreaming, Tim. <laughs> never give up. Never surrender. <laughs> uh, Keep reaching for the stars. I don't think it can get much better than that. I don't but think we're going to talk about Witchblade 141 anyway. Um, so Witchblade 141 came out this week, the second part of the uh, of a storyline that began in Witchblade 140. Now, you know, I'm always talking about how much I love the book, but uh, Aaron, I know you gave this storyline a chance. What'd you think? I didn't. I read them both back to back. I didn't read 140 and then wait for 141 to came out. I, I read them when uh, 141 came out and read them back to back. So I guess what I'm saying is is that I read them back-to-back. Back. <laughs> <laughs> At the massage parlor? <laughs> At the massage parlor and detective agency comic shop. I particularly enjoyed the monster designs in, in the book. Uh, the first issue, in particular, 140, was creepy as all get-out. It was a, it was a, there, there was a lot of tension in the book. Um, I, the uh, Stapon Saic uh, artwork was fantastic. Um, I really did enjoy it. I, 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 I liked I liked the tension that 140 uh, left us with. And then 141 had a resolution that I w- really wasn't expecting because, you know, Witchblade tends to be pretty dark in the way things get resolved. You know, uh, in one of the earlier trade paperbacks, you know, uh, the bad guy is taken down to the monster under the bridge to be dealt with, <laughs> you know, uh, so you know the, the books tend to be dark, but the monsters in this book were being controlled and created by children, and so these the the, the resolution was not as dark as you might have expected because the children were involved. The children, the precious. Yeah, I I enjoyed seeing Gleason hold his own against these monsters as well. Yeah, you you don't get to see him often actually do the fighting the when fighting. she's around. See, I uh, I picked up. Which played uh, starting with Firstborn, 
Uh-huh. And so I'm, I'm picking up the older ones in trade. They actually restarted with that $5 trade, yeah. which was the first Ron Mars storyline. Yeah, I'm so doing I'm, the same. I'm, I'm, Yeah, I'm catching up on my Ron Mars Witchblade uh, for the pre-Firstborn stuff. But I got to say, you know, I know this may sound a, a little hokey, but one of my favorite aspects of Ron Mars' run has been that relationship with Gleason. Right. Sarah Mars yeah. – or Sarah – whatever the fuck her name is. Pizzini. Sarah Pizzini. I called her Sarah Mars. Um, <laughs> Sarah Pizzini's relationship with Gleason. I just, I really have enjoyed, you know, their interaction. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a true partnership. You know, he's not, you know, the weak wallflower that's having to, you know, sit in the rears while she does all the heavy lifting. He's out there, you know, getting into it as well. And that's one of the things, you know, you're talking about those earlier stories where Ron Mars took over the character. Um, you know, he has a lot of trepidation about how, you know, bizarre the Witchblade is and how she doesn't know anything about it. And he actually challenges her to go and find out more about this artifact. Yeah, and she has to struggle with the idea of even having a partner at this point because she's had some really bad luck with partners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he's lasted a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I like the partnership between those two. And I like this story. And, you know, uh, this was a story that uh, Mars co-wrote. Yeah, I caught that. Um, now, I'm not familiar with the other writer, but, uh, I mean, it, I, I didn't – I got to be honest. I, I, I'm not sure where the difference in storytelling came from. Right. Well, but you I, know, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, last night when I was reading it, I sent a, a tweet over to Ron Mars, and I'm like, you know, who's this uh, Sarav Mohapatra person? And, you know, he, he wrote me back and said, you know, he's a buddy of mine that, uh, you know, we co-wrote these two issues with. And so, you know, he sent me a link over to uh, this writer's page, and he's, he's a comic book writer. And, you know, he has written uh, a lot of comics I'm unfamiliar with. Um, and they seem to be perhaps Indian comics. Like, he's got, uh, you know, comics that he's written such as Devi, uh, Dahandar, India Authentic. Um, you know, certainly oh. has a very Indian sensibility. So I don't know if he's actually uh, a writer from India who writes in the Indian comic market, or if he's you know written stuff here in America uh, with an Indian sensibility. So I don't know much about him, but I sure did enjoy uh, this story. And I don't know, you know, I'd be real curious next time we have Ron Mars on to ask him, you know. How did each writer contribute and what was what was the effect? I mean, if you notice in the book, there were a number of uh, Indian characters in the book, you know, with you know Indian names and, and references. So that's right, Ron Mars. We know you're listening. Aaron, quit bad mouthing your books. You can come back now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was good. Uh, definitely pick it up. It's a two part story. And. You can pick it up not knowing too much about the title, I think. You know, there's there's enough on that opening intro page to, that you can enjoy the two-parter and you know maybe get into the book. Yeah, it's definitely a good standalone story. Monsters. If you like people fighting monsters, uh, you will dig this book because the, the monsters, Stapen Sayek, I mean, just rocks those monsters in this book. Yeah, he, he he's been great. I think you know. I noticed some faltering in his art, and I, I know there were some health issues, and he was on two titles simultaneously. Yeah. But uh, you know, with him focusing on the Witchblade, the art has just been fantastic. And I have to say, this is the kind of story I like best out of Witchblade. The you've got one issue of somebody brutally killed, and the next issue of figuring out who did it, why they did it, what happened, and all of that. I mean, 
the uh, the Gollum story from not too long ago is one of my favorite Witchblade stories of all time, and it kind of follows the same format. Same format. Well, anyway, uh, wrapping it up here with uh, Witchblade, uh, great stuff. And while our comic selection was uh, smaller this week, I think we liked everything we read. You know, we didn't give a single negative review this week. And that may be because we didn't talk about Green Lantern. But uh, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> you know, I did read Green Lantern Corps this week, and it wasn't a bad book. But uh, I, I got to tell you, my enthusiasm for the title is waning. It was all I could do to open the cover. He said waning. <laughs> <laughs> Not like you've you know, heard that before. I know. I got to say, I, I loved every book I read this week, too. Yeah. And I kept, I was wondering, you know, I've had so many weeks of four issues. This week I had, I think, five or six. But I kept thinking, where are all the books this year? Why are, why are these so short? And then I realized they're all coming out next week, and none yeah, of them are two ninety nine books. They're all three ninety nine. <laughs> next week is atrocious. I have six books next week. That's that's outrageous. I haven't and even. I've looked. got a seventh with a question mark. I My first at, pass gave me eight books. I looked none at the of DC them list. I looked at the DC list, but I didn't see what what Marvel's sending out next week. What's Marvel sending? New uh, Avengers, Thunderbolts. There's a Magneto one shot that I I thought looked interesting. Astonishing yeah, well, Thor number two, Ultimate Comics Doom number two, Fantastic Four five eighty seven, X Force number four. Wow. Yeah, Age of X Alpha comes out next week. I'll be oh, getting that. Is is anybody picking that up? Yeah, I, I am. definitely am. Huh. And but one and one I'm really excited for, Infestation number one comes out next week. Ooh, I am looking forward to that. What is that? Yeah. I saw that on the list, but I had no idea what it was. That's that IDW crossover we were talking about with zombies going across their uh, their licensed properties. Yeah, it's written by uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. So you have zombies in Star Trek, zombies in GI Joe, zombies in Ghostbusters, zombies, zombies, zombies. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna pick up that first issue. Yeah, so I am lots too. of stuff next week. I'm too. Crap. <laughs> I was really getting used to this, uh, you know, uh, cheaper month. Cheap comic books. <laughs> I was too. And, you know, that's what bugs me. Is I'm, I'm not kidding when I say that all of these are three ninety nine bucks. Yep. It's yep. the only two ninety nine on my entire list is Justice League Generation Lost. Everything else is a three ninety nine book. The hard thing is that I think I'm going to start holding uh, my three ninety nine books to the standard that Amazing Spider Man is set. You're not getting any three ninety nine books in there. Well, I, exactly. I mean, the Amazing Spider-Man shows that they can produce quality at three ninety nine without me feeling like I'm getting ripped off. You know that they can produce a title that is just chock full of story that is well thought out, and the additional pages, um, you know, tie in to the story that they're telling, as opposed to just being something that's clomped on to quote make it valuable to three ninety nine. Um, I think I'm going to start holding books to that to that standard, and I'm going to start cutting some shit loose. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, speaking of crossovers, the first trade paperback of Artifacts comes out next week. Also, mm. for those who haven't been picking it up, it collects the first four issues, and it's nine ninety nine. That's not a bad price at all. Yeah. Excellent. Now, one thing that I'm curious about is this: there's a comic called Blockbusters of the Marvel Universe, and it's not so much a comic book as it is one of those Marvel books where it's like, you know, it's all reading. Not, you know what I'm saying. Uh, it's, it's, it's all, all words. <laughs> it's all tech. You know, it's all like, you know what I'm trying to say. It's like, it's not a comic. It's like, you know, 
biographies and shit. But it goes in, but it's called Blockbusters in the Marvel Universe, and it goes over all their crossovers. Right. And I, I don't know. That sounds interesting to me. You know, you can kind of read about all the crossovers, all the big events that they've had. But it's four ninety nine, so I probably won't buy it. But I, I'm going to ponder it. I'm going to look at it on the shelf. Are you going to ponder? I'm going to ponder. Are you going to ruminate? I might. I might contemplate my navel. Going to ruminate in your pants. And then you're going to pay four ninety nine for a bunch of words. <laughs> Without for stupid down, words. All ruminated. Well, on that note. We will let our our listeners go ruminate to themselves. Use your words, Paul. Use your words. <laughs> See ya. Ah. Keep hope alive. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. 